This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, and an outpost, Rog, in West Hollywood, California, where I'm doing work for Charity. Charity. It's the Men in Blazers podcast. Welcome to Pod Save the Queen. Oh, yeah. I hate it when you're on the other side of the country, Dave. I just want to get onto one of your jets, fly all the way to where you are, give you a little nuzzle, a little cuddle, uh-huh. and then fly all the way home. Do you want me to send the chopper that you can fly the chopper to the jet and come, or can you make your own way to the airport? Oh, I'd hitchhike, mate. I would hitchhike to be with you, to give you that cuddle, that little, that little cuddle, like the kind of thing Antonio Conte gave Courtois. In front of the Chelsea fans, I'd do that any dead way. You weren't alone in travel, though, Dave. I was away this week. You were communing with nature, whatever that means, I was, in Utah. I was. I was, in, I was in Deer Valley, Utah. God, it is a, it is a magical state, Utah. In, oh, really, every, <laughs> every time I land in Utah, yeah, and I just see that stunning, idiosyncratic scenery, the craggy mountains... The oh, you love craggy mountains. The Salt Lake. Oh, the Salt... Uh, Kyle Beckerman's hair, which I want yeah. to say, every single astronaut I've ever spoken to assures me you can see, I believe, from space. <laughs> anyway, every time I land in Salt Lake, I make a solemn vow to myself, Davo, to spend more time in nature. And I, <laughs> and I never make... I, I saw your Instagram. You didn't spend a lot of time in nature. <laughs> You were mainly, you. I, I saw something maybe from a deck looking at nature through a window. Yeah. But most of the time you seem to be feet up in front of a television watching football. Oh, that was Roger Grizzly Adam, is it? That was about, that was pretty hardcore. I've got to say, I, it's a vow I make, Davo, solemnly. Uh-huh. And I never make good on that vow. And I want to know, <laughs> we've never talked about, do you have a position on nature? Do you spend time in nature? Do you, like me, feel a lesser person? For not spending time in nature, Davo, discuss. I like nature. I like nature. I like playing sport in nature. I like golf. I like a bit of fishing. Um, but yeah, I spend time in nature. Hit, Roger, but hit, I don't really. Hitting I've, I've and killing. I'm confused by people who want to sort of do sketches and contemplate it and go on, <sighs> go on long walks. I have long fantasies about watercolors, actually. It's funny you mention that. <laughs> I, I've been trying to think about what prevents me from being in nature so kind of repeatedly. And I've realised what it is. It's the first steps out of the parking lot away from my automobile. <laughs> They're all heavy-legged. I, I just feel tired instantly. I feel the pull of my couch. I feel my television, my Xbox, whatever book I'm reading. And I feel so much ahead of me, the journey. I, I realised I'm just so weak in the face of a challenge, David. Mm. You met your PlayStation there didn't you when you're talking about that no. Uh, no I understand that it can be it can but it can also be overwhelming I mean I love mountains Rog you like craggy you like craggy mountains oh, I, I love the mountains mountain. in Montana I love the Alps um, I love the ocean I love the violence of nature I love the the uncontrollability of nature but I'm trading off the mountains I'm trading off the crags I'm trading off the violence of nature I'm trading them off against soggy sandwiches yeah which I really detest but I've got to get over that hatred of the soggy side. I did, but I want to say, I went for a walk this week down yeah. the side of the Hudson River. Sorry, sorry, the, the Ray Hudson River. Yeah. And I charged past miles of cherry blossoms. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I should save this for our other podcast, Horticulture and Cherry Blossoms, today. 
Yeah, flowering trees. But God, they're beautiful. And it is the most exhilarated I've felt in a long, long time. I almost, Davo, I almost, I almost experienced human emotions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, talking about the Hudson River, our, campa- yeah. our campaign, mm-hmm. brilliantly conceived by you, Davo, to have GFOPs across the country petition their authorities they're puzzled authorities, I guess I should say, producer J-Dubs, to rename their local Hudson Street. Ray Hudson Street has just picked up speed at a wicked velocity. We've been flooded with letters and photos <laughs> and kind of Google Maps of Hudson Streets, Hudson Avenues, Hudson Terraces from tons of you. Of just, uh, Let me say, how many GFOPs want to just pick up the baton of good citizenry? It really thrills me. Like Jonathan Anderson, who CC'd us on our Men in Blazers Gmail to his letter to probably an incredibly puzzled community board too <laughs> in New York City to rename our Hudson Street on which we pod in the crap part of Soho thusly. Davo, take it away. Uh, in an effort to strengthen the cultural significance of the area and show an appreciation to a man that has truly left a legacy among such a large number of people, I would like to submit a formal request to dedicate and therefore rename a section of Hudson Street between Charlton Street and Van Dam <laughs> to Ray Hudson Street. Please take this proposal into serious consideration in your next board or cabinet meeting. And if you would like any more information on the legend that is Ray Hudson or what this dedication could mean to the city of New York, please do not hesitate to ask. Best, Jonathan Anderson, GFOP. Local lawmakers, stop mucking around with healthcare. <laughs> stop thinking about, like, tax issues. Although, Dave, you'd like them to think a bit more about tax issues. This is what is really important. And Jonathan Anderson, God love you. We are going to send you a patch for your good citizenry. I mean, it's just fantastic what you've done for us and for Ray Ray. I actually spoke to Ray Hudson this week. Oh, you did? So he knows about this? Yeah, because once I read this letter from uh, Jonathan Anderson to a puzzled um, community board too, I wanted to bolster Jonathan Anderson's, let's just say, quite flimsy case. And I said, Ray, we know, <laughs> you, we know that you played for the, in Tampa Bay. We know you coached in MLS for Miami and D.C. Do you have any link at all? Do you have any tie to New York City that would help us bolster the case? And Ray Ray did not miss a beat. He just goes... He just goes, oh, there's a rumour I'm the bastard offspring of Henry Hudson. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not a rumour anymore. No, it's amazing. That's fact. I love fact. that, man. Thank you for all you've done to honour a legend. At Rugby Panda tweeted us and said, men in blazers, we could have a Ray Hudson News in every airport. <laughs> I'll be honest, I always just assumed Hudson News was already <coughs> named after Ray. Next, you're going to tell me all the Wendy's in airports aren't named <coughs> after Wendy Williams, which would just break my heart, David. Talking about great uh, celebrities. Yeah. We had Guy Ritchie on Men in Blazers this week. Uh, of all of our guests, I feel like he would be your mate more than any other. But he's also the only one that you speak Hebrew with. Ken. Ken Ken Zernachon. <laughs> That's the most amazing, the most amazing thing to witness. Yeah, Guy Ritchie, what a good guy. He owns a pub. Yeah. As you know, that is my dream. Yeah, what's he say? Half tough, half a bit of rough. <sighs> I relate to that. Uh, I, no, he's a good guy. I likes do, fighting. I quite like fighting. Loves fighting. So I want you to fight him. I really was a bit disappointed to be candid. No, but I couldn't, I couldn't compete the jujitsu thing I don't do. Well, how would you handicap your punch, Davo? Klitschko-esque? I've got a long reach on my jab, Rog, because you know I have stealth height and length. I felt so it. I've got a long reach I felt on my it jab. in rehearsals. I can change the angles. I can uppercut. I can hook. I can go straight right. 
I'm, I'm fairly useful right hand. I know you do. You've got an incredibly hard right hand. I've learned a lot when we've been kind of going through the dry runs with the clips before the Men in Blazers show. I've been on the end of that fist many times, <laughs> listeners. But I digress. I know Davo's a fighter. I know Guy Ritchie's a fighter. And I was quite hoping something would kick off when we'd see it all go down. But what I love most yeah. about Guy Ritchie is that he's just a man. You can just fire random questions at him when he comes in. You can be like, Guy Ritchie, what scotch are you savouring right now? And he doesn't, he just thinks for one second and then he goes off on how much he loves Mortlack 16, the jewel of the space side. Or you can mm. just show him a photo of Pep Guardiola in his overzip coat as we did. And you go, what, what do you think of that? And he just goes, yeah, that's a bloke who's into S&M. <laughs> Guy Ritchie, he's got more manliness in his little finger than I've had in four generations of my family. Bad news, yeah. listeners. We are on television. Is this right, J-Dubs? Twice next week. It's no. terrible. Yeah, terrible. Monday Ugh. and Friday, 5.30 p.m., Dave. Where am I going to find the time? I, I, you know, I, where, where, how is America going to recover? I don't know. How is NBCSN going to recover? Monday, I've got to say, I'm quite, mm -hmm. I, I am genuinely, humanly excited because our guest, Dave, yeah. it's only Kevin Bloody Bacon. Oh, that's amazing, really. Yes! He is to, <laughs> I have no idea. He is to me what I imagine Prince Philip is to you, iconic royalty, right? Yeah, he wouldn't top my list of iconic royalty. He wouldn't. Oh, my God. Yeah. Diner, one of my favourite movies of all time. Fenn, one of my favourite <laughs> characters. Colonel, you bozos. Send us your questions, Kevin Bacon fans, Sleepers fans. Send them all. I want to make the most of my time. I'm going to bottle. I'm going to bottle the air in the panic room after he's been there and just wear it for special occasions, dab it behind my ear. Talking about television and bad television, Men mm -hmm. in Blazers show, we've got to counterbalance that legally by talking about good television. Oh, The Handmaid's Tale on Hulu is one of the single best shows I've watched since Fargo 2. It is debilitating, haunting, harrowing in the greatest way possible. I think Elizabeth Moss is the ringwald of the next generation, David. Yeah, she's good. She works as an actress. haven't seen it. I've seen the trailers, Roger. I've got to watch it. Just got picked up for a season two today. Oh, I'm not surprised, David. You've got to watch it. It's going to make you question everything. I'm preparing talking Handmaid's Tale. Uh, as we speak. Um, okay, Rog, we've got a packed show. We're going to draw a line in the panic room sand whilst recapping league leaders Chelsea's 3-0 victory over Everton in El Blazerico. Sorry, Rog. We're going to revise the Premier League calendar after second place Tottenham saw off their North London neighbours Arsenal to cancel St. Totteringham's Day for the first time in two decades. And we pour a sip out for darkroom enthusiast David Moyes, who Sunderland were officially relegated this weekend. To the football, Rog. Oh, I've got my Guinness here. I know you've got one oh, in Los Angeles. As I pour it out, I'll just say, it was an oddly imbalanced Premier League schedule this weekend. Sunday, packed with heavyweight games. Saturday, it was more like a dry run for what the Premier League would feel like after a zombie apocalypse. Mm. I found myself just watching Southampton toil against Hull and make-believing I was enjoying myself. So I raise this glass, Dave, out to you in California and to Sunderland fans across the world. May their suffering be short-lived, mm. their, their worst fears not realised, and then you own a found to the football. Here's to you, Sunderland fan. We're anywhere <laughs> between 33 and 35, 38 of the way through the Premier League season. Rog, I'm not sure if that reduces or not. And we're witnessing a title race with two parties seemingly intent on one-upping each other. Mix in whatever PEDs Antonio Conte is on, and it all feels a bit Maguire Sosa 98. 
Everton nil, Chelsea three. The most important game in the world in our panic room. El Blazerico, Rog, takes oh. on extra importance this year as top of the table Chelsea continue to sprint down the home stretch. Three goals in the last 24 minutes. A Pedro tap-in, a goal from Gary Cahill and one from Willian. See Conte's men maintain their four-point lead over Spurs. Let's hop in the George Michael sports machine, Rog, and head back to Sunday morning for Chikau. How are you feeling heading into this one, Rogelio? I was eerily calm, to be candid, ahead of this game. No panic, no worry, no concern, also no hope, no sense that my team were going to get out of this one alive. Had no belief that the result was going to be anything other than painful. Everton have just been so poor for so long against top six teams. Lukaku doesn't score against them, never scores against Chelsea. It's honestly also predictable. I watched the game. In Park City, with my best mate for life, Jamie. I've grown, mm-hmm. up, I've grown up with him since a year zero. He's been my best mate, fellow long-suffering Everton fan. And we just spent the game on the couch, calling out everything that happened before it happened. So, like, if Everton got a free kick in a dangerous position, we'd just be like, Ross Barkley's going to walk up here and spang that ball directly into the wall. And he did. It is known. I mean, I just watched Gross Point Blank on the plane for the hundredth time. And watching this game was just like that. A movie that's so warm, so known, so familiar. I, I did enjoy our interactions. I've got to say, you tweeted out before kickoff about Everton, who Chelsea, let me remind you, had beaten 5-0 in the fixture early in the season. You said, would honestly rather be playing Barcelona at this stage of the Premier League season. And I could feel your hand patting my forehead patronisingly, even 2,000 miles away on Twitter. I mean, since we started podding, Davo, Chelsea's record in El Blazerico Eight wins, four losses, two draws. What were you worried about exactly? Well, number one, I think last season at Goodison, we lost, wasn't that the Stephen Naismith uh, game where he just destroyed Chelsea at the worst possible time for Jose Mourinho? So, yeah, I'm always worried about it. I'm worried about it because, Rog, unlike you, where you say you have no hope, I don't actually believe you, but let me take you at face value and say that you don't have hope. The problem is, is that I have hope in my team. And so, therefore, you can actually properly get disappointed because you hope. And if there's one team in football at this point of the season that I did not want to lose to, it would be your Everton. <laughs> it just is like, that's pretty, like, obvious. It would have been, you would have made my life a misery on Monday. Instead, I came in. It was lovely to you after, on Monday morning. But you would have made my life a misery God. if Everton had beaten Chelsea this that, weekend. That thought, and it was that, a close game. It no, was a close game. Now, by the way, I just want you to know, I'm never going to fall for you manipulative mental tricks. Expectation management and false modesty. I invented those back in 1843. <laughs> uh, it was a close game. I mean, the, it was a close game if you believe there can be any kind of a battle between endeavour and real ability. I mean, Everton tried... Well, Naismith scored a hat-trick against Chelsea. He, he, Naismith is a world-class player. That ongoing debate, <laughs> Ronaldo, Messi or Naismith, who's the best player in the world, puts him in a different bracket. He doesn't yeah. play for us anymore. He's just delivering victory after victory to Norwich. And without him, we tried to muffle Chelsea. We had Garner man Mark Hazard, but that mm-hmm. left Pedro and Moses to just charge at will through the midfield. Everton had let's say, a brief post hit at the outset. I was actually relieved they missed it because it would have been too early. And that was it. In terms of threat, Lukaku disappeared, as he does against big teams. He just evaporates. I honestly thought he played as if he'd already joined Chelsea and was doing everything he could to lock up the title for them. Did Lukaku 
put in the kind of performance on Antonio Conte's casting couch that made you, Michael Davis, think, God, I can't wait to re-sign him. No, not really. But then again, you know, we've, we've said this before about Lukaku. He's not the kind of striker who can play with his back to goal in the way that Didier Drogba could. And the midfield was so dropped off dealing with Chelsea. They're just throwing those long balls. And that's a very hard thing. And Chelsea have got big physical centre-backs. It's just hard for him to dominate them in exactly the same way. It was 0-0 at the half. I need to ask you, what exactly do you think Antonio says in his halftime team talks that change everything? I don't know that a lot changed. Um, I actually think that they dealt much better with the man-marking of of Hazard than they did against Man United. Uh, Even Hazard played more centrally, took Ghana into some uncomfortable uh, positions, I felt. Chelsea were playing pretty well, but they missed a couple of great chances. Certainly Costa's chance, uh, you'd have expected him to hit the target at that point. But I don't know how much they really changed. The thing that Chelsea have, you just always know going into a second half, is it's not just what Conte can do. You look at the bench, you know that Fabregas can come on, you know that Willian can come on. They just have so many quality reinforcements so he can try plan B. I'd, I'd love to know, though, what goes on with Conte in that locker room. We said on the show we just wish that Antonio Conte had a cam on him for the whole 90 minutes and it was picture within picture. I just imagine him. It's probably less what he says because his English still isn't great. It's probably more what he does in that locker room. I imagine him just like getting the lads in there, giving out the tea and the oranges, just pulling out a cobra and a mongoose from a sack, making them fight to the death with the players just gawping on and then screaming, (laughs) now go out there, go out there and be a mongoose because that's what Chelsea were like when they came out. They just never a doubt about what this final result was going to be there. They just upped a gear and it all felt like a movie that I'd seen so many times before. When you start to believe there's a glimmer of possibility Everton might get a point out of the game, what does Pedro do, Dave? He just drives into the space Morgan Schneidlin would have been patrolling. Well, I mean, more than that, Pedro, no player in football runs the opposite direction of, um, <laughs> of the opponent's goal when in an attacking position than Pedro. In 2015-16, he did it all the time to no use, gave the ball away and gave up several goals on the counter-attack. He's now figured out a way to run backwards on the field and not give the ball away. And there's always this moment of, where's Pedro going? Where's Pedro going? Where's Pedro going? And then he'd cleared himself. He shook his defender and shoots. Frankly, I think Stecklenburg might have done a little better on that. That's not a Premier League goal. You don't see people beat for pace very often uh, over the top of them. Uh, that way. It wasn't right in the corner. I thought Stecklenburg might have done better, but it was uh, 1-0 Chelsea. Yeah, he's not really a Premier League goalkeeper, is he? But I thought, you know, Everton do not score goals like that very often. A stun. I mean, Chelsea always, Matic scored one last season, always seemed to score like that against Everton. Lampard scored two of those against Tim Howard, which both actually still in the days when it pained me. I'm numb to that pain now. So instead I thought about what is Davo thinking as that goal went in, in his little house with his little television and his little hopes about his little plucky team. And I thought, oh, he must have felt just like Kim Jong-un looking at one of his missiles launching when that ball went in. Yeah, in my very big house on my very big television <laughs> where I was all alone while I was watching that game. Um, I, uh, I made a lot of noise at the point that that one went in. And I may, I may have proclaimed man love uh, for Pedro right, at that point. Rightfully, rightfully. Let's get over the real pain. Let's rip this Band-Aid off. I just knew bloody Gary Cahill would score, David. Oh, well, I mean, there are, there are a few things more certain uh, in the world than Gary Cahill scoring a messy, 
uh, messy goal at the other end. I mean, off his knee, uh, Rog, uh, it was not the most conventional Gary Cahill goal. It looked, it looked though, more like a Gary Cahill own goal than most of his goals. <laughs> J-Dubs, when he watched it with me, he just goes, look at that finish, it's beautiful. I just knew he'd score that. I mean, Stecklenburg got an assist. What a liability he continues to be in the Everton goal. I know Ronald Koeman listens to the pod. Ronnie, seriously, you'd be better off playing with 11 outfielders right now. No Stecks, no Joel. Just get Stevie Naismith back and fill them instead. Because I cannot, I don't mind losing to Chelsea Football Club. In fact, I welcome it. It's routine. It's a ritual. It's normative in my life right now. But I cannot stand looking at Gary Cahill's smile. It's what children across the world see in their nightmares. They may have other names for him in other countries, trolls, bogeymen, golems, but it's, it's all different shades of bloody Cahill. Will Yan, I did a layup in garbage time. Didn't hurt. Clean sheet for Chelsea. That probably oh, thrills that you. Cest, that cest pass though, Rog. Oh, my. <sighs> yeah, it was just his little audition for Manchester United or Liverpool. And that was that. 3-0 <laughs> on the day in the second leg of El Blaze Erico. 8-0 on the season, Davo. My notes just say, and I think the ink, it's not my tears that it's smudged with. It's, uh, I wish it was Guinness. It, it was my tears. Democracy dies in darkness. And I'll take my hat off, Davo. City flounder, United lollop, Arsenal assume the position, Chelsea clinical, ruthless. They're just coiled right with persistence and resolve. That They are a football team forged of Valerian steel. You must be very proud. I mean, no, no, but I'm not one of those people who believes that how my team play affects who I am as a human being, which is what some fans can, they confuse their own self-identity with their teams. Uh, Guilty. It's enjoyable to watch Chelsea play such good football. I would say that I feel like Everton this season against Chelsea, and I would say this is a larger thing in the Premier League, they just, they just sort of gave up. They uh, capitulated, I suppose, is the word, Ross. They capitulated at Stamford Bridge early this year. They capitulated in what was a very close game until the mid-60s minutes in this game against uh, Chelsea. And I don't completely understand Everton. I don't completely understand why this team doesn't push on and get better. They've got so many good players. Um, Tom Davies, I've been struggling. I've been working through Ancestry.co.uk all weekend trying to figure out if I'm related to him. He is such a tasty player. They've got so much skill, so much ability across the park. And I don't understand why this team aren't pushing on. Yeah, I mean, you're not related to him, Dave. He's 18. He would have lost his hair by now if he was from your branch. <laughs> and by the way, he does have a lot of forehead. I wouldn't <laughs> make that point. That's a lot of forehead on that young man. It's a lot of everything. I adore that man. And he was one of the few Everton players to emerge from that game. I'd say with a plus. I mean, there's so much quality, but they seem to disappear in these big games. I mean, this, if this was meant to be the toughest game in Chelsea's running, Davo, I, I did. I wanted a game to remember with my mate of mates, Jamie. What we got together was all too predictable. And that 90 minutes will just blur into every other mediocre kind of wilting, melting the crucible performance that we've watched Everton drill out from team after team, a proper team after proper team that we've watched over the past decade. Nice news. West Brom's loss means Everton will have Europa League football next season, which is lovely for a fan base to see European teams coming to Goodison Park. But just two points on the road against top six teams, Davo, it means we're never going to be top six. We'll, we'll always be on the outside looking in until we can change that. And it's a huge test for Steve Walsh and Everton's scouting and transfer team this summer to really upgrade 
the quality of the squad across the pitch. You actually have a theory that you tested on me yesterday. And I, I, I thought it was hilarious and I want to flute it out because you forget these things. You just drop these yeah. gems no. of wisdom and then walk away. You said to me, Rog, I actually think your Everton enjoy coming seventh. It's an easier position to be where you're good. You're better than the vast majority of teams in the football. You can upset these big teams. You have your day when you've got Naismith in form. But it's sort of much easier to go and be that. You can have fans who can watch and they can be huge fans and they can see all your potential. They can see all your young players. But, you know, they can be there with no hope, but still pretty happy to think, oh, one day we're not far away. We just need one or two more players. It's a much easier position to be in. You're in LA. I'm in New York. Somehow I can feel your hand slapping me on the head patronisingly because what you're describing essentially is my football club as a mid-level entertainment industry operative who likes being VP level, but God forbid they should ever be promoted to SVP or or, or EVP, the Champions League equivalent. You're essentially saying we like to be invited to the parties and the premieres, but we don't want any pressure or responsibility of really being front and centre at any of them. Is that what you're saying, David? Yeah, all of the authority with none of the responsibility. We're awful people. Talking about the Champions League, Chelsea have now qualified. Back you are in the Champions League. But the way Antonio Conte celebrated post-game with the away fans, with the players, you could tell that he felt like his team had won it. And with just Middlesbrough, West Brom, Watford, Sunderland to play, you're not going to argue with that now, are you? Tottenham are winning every game. Chelsea have got to continue winning games. And as Man City found out about against Middlesbrough, Chelsea's next opponent at the weekend, none of these teams at the bottom end of the table are going to give up. Um, I'm not taking it yet. Not taking it yet for an instant, Rog. Not falling into your trap. I'll say watching Conte smile at the end of that game, doing his double Arsenio. Polar ice caps melted. The hole in the ozone tore just a little bit larger. I'm sure a small breed of toucans in West Africa became extinct. But you could just yeah. see in his release, Davo, in his release, in his joy... Just the passion, the dedication, the detail, the determination that has just transformed your football club so that they can win most probably the double. This is astonishing to me. In his first season in English football, in that year, there was meant to be the most savage competition of all time, the year of Pep, the year of Jose. And he's done it, even though you won't admit it, he's done it coming away from the pack. Well, he's not. He's By definition, he's not coming away from the pack. Tottenham are getting closer. Um... But I do think that there are two teams here. It's very rare that you've got a season where there are two teams in the Premier League who both deserve to win it. Uh, neither of these teams deserve to go and lose the Premier League. What Chelsea have done, the bounce back from uh, last season's uh, miserable, miserable year, it's a pretty phenomenal job that Antonio Conte has done. Not only winning, but the star with which Chelsea have won, that forging of steel with a lot of skill, a lot of very attractive play. They've scored more goals in the Premier League than anyone I just think it's been remarkable what he's done there. I also think it's remarkable what Pochettino has done down in Tottenham. And these two teams, really, they put to shame uh, the rest of the chasing teams. Um, they are a they class apart with what they've done. I, I did love Antonio's quote post-match. He said, there are two Antonios, two different people. He said, yep, yeah, there are. One that's simply crazy and the other one that's just backed out of his mind. <laughs> You're not thinking, he's not thinking there's a bald Antonio and then there's the one that's like covered up in that rug. That might be what he's thinking well, about. That's blasphemy, uh, David. The, uh, the win against Everton certainly became a little less significant after what happened down in London. Tottenham uh, beating Arsenal 2-0. Spurs continuing their dogged pursuit 
of the title by putting Arsenal to the sword. Two goals in the span of three second-half minutes from Delhi and Harry Kane guaranteed Tottenham finish above their fiercest rivals, Arsenal, for the first time, Rog, since the 1994-95 season. Oh, it's astonishing. Arsenal's nightmare is Tottenham Hotspur's dream. This game, straight-up battle, really, between Wenger and his past against Pochettino, who's all future. Wasn't exactly Joshua Klitschko, was it? And that was what was perhaps so weird about it all. I mean, this is a heated clash between two rivals. So much mental pressure on Spurs after Chelsea's 3-0 victory. Arsenal entering this game after the supposedly confidence-boosting FA Cup semi-final win over City. So much to prove for Arsenal, symbolically in victory. But they were never really in this one. It was also routine at the end of the day for Tottenham Hotspur. Since we've been doing this, Rog, since around... Uh, 2010, 2011. This is the worst performance I've seen by an Arsenal team in that entire time. The most outclassed I've seen them, certainly in a North London derby, certainly in a big match against one of the big teams. This was a woeful performance. They just looked like a mid-level Premier League team. Both teams were nervy at the outset. Spurs unable to complete passes. Arsenal with their late to the party back three, which is essentially a back five in this game, choking the space in which Spurs could operate. Um, but it also meant that Arsenal lacked balance. Wenger's team always surprised when they crossed into the final third and their players operated as if their dominant emotion was fear. Um, Spurs wasted a couple of chances that you thought maybe would come back to haunt them. Delhi, Eriksen both missing from Wando range. 0-0 at the half, Dave. In a game, Spurs simply had to go out and win it. I mean, part of the legend of Spursiness, I thought about this at halftime, is that a story that has exemplified and haunted Spurs in years past is the story of Sir Alex Ferguson's pre-game talk against Tottenham when he just walked into the United dressing room before the game, told his players simply, lads, it's Spurs, and then walked out. And those three motivational words are all United needed. You kind of got the feeling that all Pochettino said at halftime was, lads, it's Wenger's Arsenal, because Spurs came out second half a different team. Certainly just more decisive, more running the ball, more sort of attacking uh, the Arsenal back four and frankly attacking Arsenal straight down the middle. Arsenal seem to refuse. They just do not do tackling, Rog. They do not do tackling and uh, both goals the result of either non-tackling or incredibly uh, clumsy tackling. Yeah, I mean, they, they spent so much money at this point on players like Xhaka in the middle of that. Uh, still soft underbelly, and then they have to face a Tottenham for whom Wanyama was just superlative. He just smothered, terrorised, also created, started the point of attack. You had Son and Ali switching their runs also, and the sweetest-looking ruthless menace in the league, Christian Eriksen, just a consistent, creative threat. And it was he that started the scoring. In the box, Rog gets the ball from Deli Ali, who's now thrusting all over the place. <laughs> Eriksen... Uh, takes a shot, it rebounds uh, to Deli Ali. Deli Ali taps it home. Yeah. About seven tackles missed in about in, in about three plays. Uh, and Deli gets there when you look at it out of nowhere. Four Arsenal defenders, arguably better place than him, but he just wants it more. Oxlade Chamberlain escorting the ball home. This is the man, Deli, not alive the last time St. Totteringham's day was cancelled. I just wonder what emotions flowed through his veins. And then Arsene Wenger's side just became gutless, wilting, feeble. In short, Arsenal, in this game, were so spursy. Yeah, less than two minutes later, uh, Gabriel with a 
uh, very clumsy challenge on Harry Kane, who made the most of it, let's face it. Uh, he goes down. Gravity uh, affects some men harder than others. Uh, he steps up <laughs> at the spot, puts it past Czech, who hasn't saved a penalty since uh, 2011, Rog. Oh, and Harry Kane became the first player, amazing record for a local boy for whom this does mean everything, this game. Now, you speak to a lot of the players about the Arsenal-Tottenham derby and they don't feel it. You speak to Harry Kane and when I, said, I asked him about this derby, he feels it in his blood. For him to score in five consecutive North London derbies, become the first player to do so, God, he must have felt amazing until he went to see Ed Sheeran that night, which probably hmm. killed the buzz a little bit. But 146 seconds between those two goals and suddenly the game felt less like local hand-to-hand combat more like a routine victory in which was something bigger than the game at stake for Spurs Arsenal fight or flight they just crawled into a ball and screamed not in the face shape organization belief none of that just drained out of them as if they'd been sliced open bloody Meza Ozil I read this week that Johnny Depp no longer bothers Davo to read his scripts he doesn't bother with script learning anymore he just has an assistant who reads him his lines and he wears an earpiece when he's on set. He kind of goes, yes, this will shock you, Dave. He goes through the motions as Jack Sparrow. He's not really into it. That's how Mesut Ozil was played out this second half of the season to me, Dave. He was just not there. Uh, I think the comment Lee Dixon made a point that he seems like comfortable in London, just comfortable. He likes the London life. He likes being part of Arsenal. But um, you just look at the way that those players on Chelsea and Tottenham are fighting. Um, that's certainly not what Ozil or most of his teammates are doing uh, either. And that was it. First Brexit, then Trump, and now, probably most shockingly of all, St. Totteringham's Day is cancelled, David. As they say, welcome, my blood fam. And in many ways, I've been thinking about this since speaking to my Arsenal mates. I think St. Totteringham's Day was their bread and circus that kept them happy, Arsenal fans, through that kind of fourth place also ran era. Now it's gone. The true horror of this kind of Wenger reality, this Sisyphusian reality, it's just laid bare. It's just so clearly apparent. And it's, oh, it's like a, hamster, a vacuous hamster wheel, David. And that was what was so devastating to me about Sunday's loss. Less the 2-0, less the lack of the annual kind of gloating holiday. Just more the total lack of identity, ideas, leadership, and hope that we've been talking about game after game after game in the second half of the season. It's interesting you say that because in my theory is that Arsenal fans deal with the pain of not winning the Premier League and exiting the Champions League um, in the early knockout stages every single time. I think they deal with it because Arsenal fans see a pangea of only Arsenal. They have a, a monotheistic view of the world that Arsenal are the only team in football. But one of the things that supports that is that they can completely ignore their neighbours Tottenham because they're irrelevant to how they finish. If Tottenham become better than Arsenal, that more than anything else challenges that monotheistic Pangea-like theory that Arsenal is the only team in the world because now they're not the only team even in North London. <sighs> you said this to me yesterday and I've been thinking about it ever since because it has been a fire festival of a season for Arsenal and their fans. Great analogy. And I'm trying to be positive. Peter Cech, down 2-0, was arguably the man of the match in the face of yeah. just the embarrassment uh, that came through in that second half. But you asked me yesterday, you asked me, do you see Arsenal making the top four ever again in Deli Ali's lifetime? I mean, it's tough to see. Certainly next season, or maybe his Premier League lifetime, 
you can't see Arsenal. You don't see how they're going to turn it around to next season. I suppose that it could be a Conte-like revival of what he did at Chelsea. But just Arsenal's, you know, mojo is gone. Arsenal's style of play feels outdated. And I don't see many players there who you're sort of thinking, I'm going to go and build the future of this team on right now. It all seems a little forlorn. So true, mate. It's so true. I mean, they are now just so decayed in almost every position from Giroud, Gabriel, via Ramsey, Xhaka, even Czech, poor Czech. They are flawed almost all over the field. Uh, I mean, it's almost as if shouting mind the gap at Spurs fans was like the, the centrifugal force that was holding the thing together because they're decayed in almost every position. Watching them, watching Wenger's Arsenal, it's like having an elderly great uncle who you always see around at your house for special occasions. And then after years and years of not going to his place, you do give him a visit and you discover that he lives in kind of like an old apartment building, totally neglected somewhere on the bowels of the Upper West Side, surrounded by his memories, his fading photographs, his dirty plates, and just piles and piles of musty old yellowing newspapers. That, that's the only way I can describe Wenger's Arsenal right now, Dave. And, and this Spurs St. Totteringham's Day doesn't have a name yet. It's very new, rife with emotion for all sides. It is a day in which Spurs fans feel that shift in the footballing tectonic plates in North London. And we'll talk about that one in a second. It's a day when every Arsenal fan in the world just feels almost in human levels of self-loathing. We said on the show that Piers Morgan experiences every day when he looks in the mirror. Arsene Wenger, we want you to stay, sang the Spurs fans for almost the entire second half. Which is funny, especially when you realise they're singing about a man who's come above them year after year after year. They've lost that albatross now. St. Totteringham's day lifted. They do sense a shift in the balance of the power, David. To me, that chant was the tune of a little brother, grown big and strong, now aware that he can wrestle his big brother who's doled out years of abuse and slap him around at will. Is it a fundamental change in the balance of power, David? Because football, as you've seen with Chelsea, fortune can flicker within a season. Look, I think Tottenham are going to have some struggles next season. Uh, I think moving to the you know new stadium and certainly spending a season at Wembley where they haven't played well um, is going to hurt them. They do play like a team right now, Rog, who they remind me a little bit of that year where Michael Chang was beating everybody. I think he won the French Open and he was just hitting winners at will. He was playing defense, 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 and he could just like make that. Most top players even, they make passing shots about 25% of the time. I think he was making about 78% of his passing shots for one season and he was just unbeatable. Tottenham are hitting a lot of winners. You know, they're swinging out. They're swinging, they're going, for the, they're going for the lines, they're going for the angles, and they're making a lot of winners from all over uh, the court right now, Rog. And I don't know how long they can continue to play this amount of football, and I don't know how long they can hold on to these incredibly sexy, talented young stars. Oh, Tottenham, you're just a Michael Chang with better handshakes. That is, <laughs> that is the ultimate conundrum right there. They're leaving Fortress White Hart Lane, they're headed to Wembley, which is like their planet Krypton. They are going to lose players. Kyle Walker almost certainly going to be pulling his cartoonish faces in a Manchester City jersey next season. Who follows him out determines whether this was a delirious one-off, which I really hope it isn't going to be because it's fantastic yeah. watching Me what too. has been built there. I do hope it's the beginning of something significant in terms of English and European football's balance of power. Spurs head off to West Ham on Friday for some Jewish Sabbath ball. They do so as winners of nine in the row in the league. Sky in England worked out if there was a title given out for the best record over the last two seasons combined, Spurs would be top by an incredible 15 points over Manchester City. Now they have to dream of a Chelsea slip that I don't see coming. Antonio Conte's team don't play 
until Monday. Pressure theoretically will be on them, but they are only playing Borough. Last word on Arsenal. Bad day for them. Great day for Arsenal fan TV. They've had so many great ones this season. Uh, J-Dubs tomorrow is speaking to Arsenal's player of the season. Yep, Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. Going to create something for our newsletter, The Raven, which will fly on Friday. Sign up for that beauty. I can't wait. JW meeting Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV. That is what life is about. Sign up for The Raven at meninblazers.com. Okay, Watford nil, Liverpool won. A goal of the season contender from Emre Chan. Wow. Earns Jurgen Klopp's side victory at Vicarage Road and keeps the Reds in control of their own top four fate. Win their final three games and they're in the Champions League. Oh, this is a dire spectacle. Remembered, if it is at all, for that one moment. What a moment. Emre Chan, an oft-derided symbol of Liverpool's inability to fulfil their potential in the 47th minute of the first half. I don't know how you'd describe it. He, he kind of flung himself at a Lucas Lever cross. His limbs just flapped like a plastic bag in the wind. It was stupendous. It was almost... I've never seen an overhead kick from such a straight ball. I mean, it wasn't a straight ball. It was a diagonal ball, but it wasn't much of an angle, Rog. What an incredible finish. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe he contacted it that well. Uh, I just slapped it acrobatically past the stunned Aurelio Gomez. Don't think there's any other kind, actually. He, Aurelio Gomez is a goalkeeper who just lives to be posterized. And I thought when that ball went in and his little face as he ran towards a giddy clock and there was just hugs, Liverpool hugs, you realise that Emre Chan has wanted to do that since he was a little boy. I have wanted to do that since I was a little boy. That kind of a strike in a massive game. Oh, I thought you were meaning hug Jürgen Klopp. I've done that, mate. It is as advertised. But just listen to me. Children listening to this podcast, hold on to your dreams. Because if Emre Chan can do that, they will. They can. They should come true. Do you believe, David, because we've talked about this a little bit, that there is a single moment in your life when you will never be happier? That there's an apex of happiness? It could come... When you're like the high school quarterback leading a come from behind victory against crosstown rivals in the big game. Could come with the birth of your first grandchild. It could come, and I'm just making this up, when Everton beat Manchester City 4-0. Because I believe that we witnessed together Emre Chan's finest moment. Yeah, I don't think that happiness is linear like that. I don't think that there's a happiness score, oh, that was a that was a 74 and that happiness score was only a 72 because I think happiness has shape, Roger. I think it's three-dimensional. I think uh, all bits of happiness have a slightly different shape to them so they can all be incredibly happy. They all feel a little bit different and it's very hard to quantify that one is more happy than another. I love that idea though that you can just say and little did he know life would never get better than in that I just love that idea for some reason. That's because you're, what you're enjoying about evaluating <laughs> happiness is comes from a darkness point of view. That's why you enjoy that. Because actually, it's not about happiness. It's about darkness. It comes from a deficit of happiness, we could say. Watford almost levelled the game at the death with a smash from Prodal, which almost had too much power and just not enough control. Smashed the ball off the crossbar in injury time. A massive win at the final whistle, not just because Watford are exactly the kind of crappy team who've beaten Klopp's team all season. Liverpool... I've now won six of their last nine in the crucible of the run-in with an injured squad. They're in third. They're four points clear uh, of fifth place. Goal difference ahead of United too. They are the master of their Champions League domain once again in this flip-flopping season. Three games to go and Jurgen Klopp roaring and hugging and just generally clopping at the final whistle. Thrilled for them. Middlesbrough two, 
Man City 2. Pep Guardiola's men twice forced to come back from a goal down against an almost certainly relegation-bound Borough side. It took an 85th-minute header, Rog, from Gabriel Jesus in just his second game back from injury to secure the point. City are fourth. If they win out, Rog, they will also make the Champions League. But this was peak modern era Manchester City at the crucial end of the season, struggling to fend off a flailing second-to-bottom relegation for the side. I'll say... Watching the indignity of Pep the Fallen Godhead celebrating an 85th minute equaliser against Middlesbrough, bloody Middlesbrough. I thought of this, Davo. On, on the 100 days of Trump this week, the New York Times headline was about how Trump has changed the presidency, dot, 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 but how the presidency has also changed Trump. And I thought my immediate reaction to that, obviously my mind always goes to football, I thought, wow. Pep has changed City, but more than that, Dave, City has just totally, totally changed Pep Guardiola. Yeah, or perhaps it's just changed how we see Pep Guardiola. It's been humbling for him. I think we'll really get an understanding of who the man is next season in how he reacts to his second season in the Premier League, how Man City uh, bounce back. I think that's going to be fascinating. I think that's when we'll really see the man. But you might tend to agree with my theory that there is a moment of peak happiness in someone's <laughs> lifetime and perhaps maybe in the rear view mirror. You do, you do, <laughs> you do have to question his thinking. I, I've got to say, simply, when Steve Agnew, Brad Guzan's body double, and Middlesbrough can counter your tactics, hmm, not good, Bob. I mean, City needed Jesus to be again their lord and saviour. Four goals in five starts, Manchester City via their Twitter feed have also been promoting the stat that he's had two goals wrongly taken away by officials in that time. And I wanted to ask you this, Davo: Would Jesus be as good a football player if his parents had called him Tony? <laughs> I have no idea about that. He is very good. He has been a very, very tasty addition to that side. But they have so many tasty individual units on that side. I still don't understand who they are and really what they're trying to do. I guess Jesus Navas probably answers my own question for me, right? <laughs> very, very true. Steve Navas. Okay, Man United won. Swansea won. An injury-plagued Wayne Rooney captained United slunk to a single point against a Swansea side, swimming furiously against the relegation zone's unrelenting undertow. United now need to hope for a Liverpool or Man City slip-up if they have any shot at the top four. Swansea, meanwhile, sit two points from safety. Come on, Bob. Oh, undertow. You think of undertow. That's a word Arlo White would use, isn't it? How would he say that word? Undertow. Undertow. No, how would he say it? Undertow. He'd say it. Undertow. Have, it would have like 11 syllables. He'd say it beautifully. Undertow. Good news, undertow. United fans. You've set a new club record for longest unbeaten run in a single season. 25 games. Bad news. I've got to say, drawing 10 games at home is just a real statistic that describes this season. GFOP at Tejas Gunner really described the football they unfolded in this game with a quote from German philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer. He said, the two enemies of human happiness are pain and boredom. And my God, United are boring. They are tough to watch. And this is our, they've come off you know, a couple of really good performances recently, Rog, and I just was so disappointed to see how tame they were in this show. And yes, you're right, they've got a lot of injuries, but this is a chance for those other players to really make their case. Uh, and frankly, they, the goal they scored was mm, slightly dodgy uh, penalty decision, Rog, after a Rashford... Shame, feeling. shame, shame. 
yeah, feeling gravity quite hard. Yeah, I mean, I've I got to say, watching this game, the only thing I've seen that was worse than this this weekend was that Bird and Bees Volkswagen commercial, which has become the new turn-back time John Bon Jovi direct TV bit. It's on, <laughs> it is on perpetually, and, and, and it is just so mystifying. At Juris Pudami tweeted us to say, how can those people afford a Volkswagen when they clearly don't have the money to get a bedroom of their very own? Great question. I know. Just you got to get through that commercial. You've got you got to ask yourself long and hard questions about it. But United, they they were once great. They are now struggling. It's like Adam Sandler in his Netflix days, Davo, and they did need Marcus Rashford to dive shamelessly against a very positive, optimistic Swansea who deserved to fight back through that Gilvy Hammer of the Gods free kick. God, he's capable of leveling mountains, causing thunder, that bloke. 53% of Swansea's goals, the most underappreciated, the most important for a for a smaller team, a gentleman who is never going to get the MVP. But my God, when you look at what he's done, nine goals, 12 assists, 21 of Swansea's 40 Premier League goals have come through him. I mean, I don't know where he is on your five, on your top five Gilfie of all time list, Davo, but he's, yeah. he's top, oh, high. Top, he's high. top three Sigurdsson list for me. Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, that was a remarkable goal, mainly because And Herrera seemed to be showing him exactly where he should put it. Yeah, uh, a very, very weird series of, as you described them, suicide runs between the goal line and the wall. Premier League this season, much of it could be put to a Benny Hill soundtrack. That moment, yeah. most certainly could have been United City. That is Benny Hill. They're now battling for their dignity. That last Willy Wonka golden ticket of a Champions League place. City and United have done everything they could in their power to gift Arsenal their fourth place trophy. But it looks like that last place is going to go to either Jose or Pep. A fig leaf for drab, disappointing season. City's last games against Palace, Leicester City and West Brom at home before they end the season at Watford. They definitely have the inside track as United, injury depleted United, have to play both Arsenal and Spurs still. And the Europa League for them may be their best pathway back to the big dance. Undertow, undertow. 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 <laughs> uh, Southampton, nil. Hull City, nil, Rog. A game you watched on TV, I listened to on the radio. The Tigers make the 259.2-mile trip from the KCOM to St. Mary's and secure a vital point thanks to goalkeeper Eldin Jakupovic's uh, amazing performance. The Bosnian-born Swiss saved a 91st-minute Dusan Tadic penalty to keep Marco Silva's men Two points clear of the drop. How was listening to this game on the radio, David? Did it really just foster all kinds of ideas in your head? Yeah, the theatre of the mind. Yeah, it made me so happy <laughs> I was uh, on Long Island and not in Southampton, frankly. Oh, fantastic finale, though. A moment of madness. Hull had that much-needed point in their grasp, and then Alfred Indai just inexplicably mm. and needlessly just grabbed hold of Maya Yoshida and flung him to the floor. Only for Dusan Tadic to just misfire a 90th minute penalty like a North Korean ballistic missile test. Uh, Yukubovic, God, he deserves all the hugs. I mean, he was just like, whatever we're sending to, what is it, South Korea, we're sending them like terminal high altitude area defense systems. That's what he looked mm. like to me. Hull now have to face Sunderland, Palace, Spurs, Swansea, meet Everton, Sunderland and West Brom. Let's just say three teams that are on their holidays already. But it all seems a bit close to call at the bottom. Well, one team that are no longer in the race to avoid relegation, Rod Sunderland, uh, lost at home to Bournemouth 1-0. And that whole result, Rog, at Southampton meant Sunderland needed at least a draw to stave off relegation for another week. Oh. But an 88th minute, Josh King goal 
officially killed off the Black Cats. Ten season Premier League tenure. I could have sworn they got relegated three or four times in the last ten years. <laughs> oh my God, it feels like it, Dave. And I've got to say, watching the footage at the final whistle of just emotionally shattered Sunderland fans, young and old, mourning their club's relegation, unless you're a Newcastle fan, those scenes were just heartbreaking. I mean, or a Borough fan. You can look at the uh, our Facebook page, Lexi, cut a haunting video out of all of it. I mean, just those fans, passionate, dedicated, proud, real reflection of the town that they live in that shaped them. I mean, many of them stayed behind at that final whistle and clapped. Yeah, they clapped. Their utterly defeated, fairly useless team off the field. Uh, all I could think of was, my God, you deserve better than what mm. Amer- American owner Ellis Short has given them over the past. He really is the Betsy DeVos of Premier League owners. One of our Honduran GFOPs at Romero20 tweeted in. He looked at our video, the film that Lexi cut, and he said, not everyone will understand these fans' pain. Football is a strange love. It is a strange love, Rog. Talking about strange love, quick word on Moyes. David Moyes, you call him David Moyes. David Moyes, no more, Davo. He's a man I once loved. He's become a a strange morality tale, a pious, sober man of value, undone by his ambition. He's like an old-school, stiff-necked preacher (laughs) who gave in to temptation, was ultimately broken by it. I mean, when I look at him, there's something of the Jeff Sessions about him. He predicted back in August, (laughs) quite rightly as it turns out, that this Sunderland would be relegated, and then he just drove them off the cliff, how he must live a life filled with regret. I mean, Newcastle, their neighbours went down and came up, but they had Rafa Benitez with Sunderland. I don't think it's going to be so easy. Feel sad for Lyndon Gooch, the Californian wonder, genuinely fantastic 21-year-old who's given himself to that city and had to watch a season on the bench as just burnouts like Pinar, Barini, Kazri created absolutely nothing. And I hope the championship is going to give him the chance to sharpen his game. Watching that camera linger on that old man right at the end uh, of the broadcast, and you can see it in our film. He's the last person in our, in our film about Sunderland. His posture just slumped, head down, barely moving. That city is an old coal town. People who live there are long-suffering. They are born and bred Sunderland, and this was clearly a man unclear if he'd ever see his beloved team play Premier League football again in his lifetime. And now, their watch has ended. Okay, Rog, Palace nil, Burnley two. The minibus ride back to David Fishwick's loving bosom was finally a happy one as the Clarets win their first away game of the season at 39 points. They look set to survive this 2016-17 Premier League gauntlet. Stoke nil, West Ham nil, Andy Carroll and Marco Anatovic each have one game less to play before their summer holidays. (laughs) West Brom nil, Leicester won a 43rd-minute Jamie Vardy goal, and his subsequent taunting of the West Brom fans proved form is temporary, but lack of class is permanent. And Leicester quietly up to 10th and the Champions League quarterfinals. History will not remember them as the worst defending champions of all time after all, Dave. After all that panic, we'll just know it as a season of, let's say, respectability, football, game of deeply felt emotions, but all of them (laughs) felt short-term. Still, that end-of-season party round at Shea Vardy this season, it's not quite going to have the same media frenzy. Probably back to being a cash bar. You just imagine Jamie Vardy's house. has got a huge sign over the front door which says, Mi casa, mi casa. 
congrats to GFOP Depotsi, whose unorthodox combination of Spurs and Hull City players lead them to the top of our Togger League this week. A patch is on the way. And a special announcement regarding a one-week Togger competition we're holding this weekend, Rog. The Men in Blazers suboptimal 11. Here's how it works. The Togger lineup with the lowest score wins, but to qualify, each player in your 11 must play at least one minute. So if one player doesn't get on the field, you're donezo. Because Togger is not built to sift through this crap, but we are. We need, are we? We need you to submit your lineups by screenshotting them after the game's finish Monday and tweeting them at us and Togger with the hashtag MIB suboptimal 11. That's MIB suboptimal XI. That's the Roman numeral for 11. The lowest score wins a patch. If you haven't taken part in Togger until now, but want to get in on this competition, all the details on how to sign up are on our website. Okay, in Champions League, the All Madrid semi-finals first leg sees Real put three past Atletico at the Bernabeu. All three girls come courtesy of Ronaldo and his frosted tips. Frosted tips. The bald man's really is only one real regret. What a game this was for Real. Dominant, controlling a dream game. Hat-trick by Ronaldo. That freshly waxed preening show pony. Who called him a fading force? The more we write that bloke off, the more he just seems to delight in proving that he remains a clutch killer in big games. Truly. I mean, the only thing that matches his lethal potency is his self-involved vanity. 13 goals in 18 Champions League semi-final appearances. A new record is, is astonishing. And Robbie the Cap 42 tweeted us to say, huh, Ronaldo, he's like all power hitters in Major League Baseball. Late in their careers, they can still hit it far, just not as often. I honestly think that misunderstands what Ronaldo's done. He's not doing what he's always done, Big Pappy style. He's reinvented himself. He's now a penalty box predator with spatial awareness, clinicality, and just the one thing he's never lost is that commitment to winning. And while watching him finish off Atleti, a very poor, shell-shocked Atleti, I could only think of my favourite Ronaldo quote of all time when he said, I think that because I'm rich, handsome, and a great player, people are envious of me. I just don't have any other explanation. And watching that game yesterday, it was hard to argue. The first leg of Monaco versus Juventus kicks off this afternoon. Oh, I cannot wait. OK, Rog, now in MLS. Some amazing narrative on these shores this past weekend, Roger. Seattle stormed back from three goals down in the final 15 minutes to earn a 3-3 draw with New England. Josie notched a brace in Toronto's 2-0 win over Houston. And GFOP Dax McCarty returned to Red Bull Arena. Highlight of the weekend was watching Dax and his Chicago Fire new chums travel to old lovers, the New York Red Bulls. Did have a proper Dax game, nimble-footed assist with a move that I believe I'd put money on this. He learned while mastering ballroom dancing for his wedding first dance. I bet your producer J-Dubs will be able to do that in a couple of months' time. It's fire. They did lose 2-1. But Dax stayed until they turned the lights out in the stadium, signing autographs, taking selfies with every Red Bulls fan who wanted one. I'll say this. Dax McCarthy is a man we want to be, not the one we are. Mazel tov also, as they say in the South, to Atlanta United, who once again... Sold out my favourite name stadium in pro sports, the Bobby Dodd. The club's third consecutive sellout to kick off its inaugural season. Combined 147,230 people have seen them play their first three games. That is a league record and one 
which would be the envy of all but a few teams around the world. Congratulations also, and they really deserve them. The US under-17 men's team, who battled back to win 4-3 against Mexico in the CONCACAF under-17 championship. Well done to coach John Hackworth and the boys. That was the USA's, this is astonishing, first ever World Cup qualifying victory against Mexico at the under-17 level. This coming right after the under-20s beat Mexico two months ago. That was for the first time in 29 years. It's just phenomenal to have such good news, really, right now. And we'll never take it for granted. There was the future looking very bright for the US. It's the Bruce Arena effect, David. It operates at all levels. Your weekend looks like this, Rog. It starts Friday this week with Spurs travelling to West Ham at 3pm Eastern Time. On Sunday, it's Arsenal versus Man United at 11am Eastern Time. And Monday, Chelsea hosts Middlesbrough at the bridge at 3pm. Immediately following that game is another episode of the Men in Blazers show, we're sorry, with special guest Kevin Bacon. Ooh, that sounds good. It starts at 5.30pm Eastern Time. All of this is on NBCSN. And in MLS, Seattle versus Toronto at 3 p.m. Eastern time, Saturday on ESPN, and Minnesota versus Sporting Kansas City at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time, Sunday on Fox Sports 1. Okay, there are many ways to connect to us, Rog. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going. Anytime you go on Amazon for items, big or small, just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. What are you putting in the Emporium this week, Rog? A book, The Push, A Climber's Journey of Endurance Risk. And Going Beyond Limits by Tommy Caldwell. Oh, Caldwell, you may know him as the world's best rock climber. You may remember him as the bloke who made a 19-day free ascent of the vertical 3,000-foot dorm wall on El Capitan that, thanks to social media, captivated the world uh, a couple of years ago. His memoir, it's really not my usual kind of book, but it was given to me by a GFOP book agent, David Larabelle, ahead of my trip to Utah. Uh, I felt like going to that rugged, mountainous terrain that I was about to descend into, I should read it. And it was, it was amazing. Uh, I'd love to meet Caldwell. He is, as a human being, I believe, probably the most opposite to me in every single way. Rock climbing, it's, it's, he describes it as a fine kind of madness. Uh, I was fascinated to read about what he does with fear, adrenaline, decision-making, the constant need to calculate the gap between risk and recklessness. And the thing that stayed with me since I finished with it and it, it's what I talked about at the top of the pod, just a lack of outdoors in my life and Caldwell's early decision that he made that simplicity, solitude, and natural beauty were the key values he wanted to build his life around. What a bloke. Okay, Rog, sounds good. Uh, I ran into a GFOP this weekend uh, in the uh, not-so-crap part of Soho who pointed at his Adidas uh, Stan Smiths and as I was wearing my Stan Smith as well, of course. And, but actually bemoaned to me, says, I love Stan Smith. I love, uh, I love the tennis shoes. I can't find an Adidas running shoe that I like. And I told him about my running shoe, Adidas running shoe of choice. It is the Adidas Originals Los Angeles, Rog. Mine are in blue and sunglow. That is another word for orange. I love this shoe. It's lightweight, uh, gives plenty of support. It is my working out and running uh, sneaker of choice, a bargain. They're all over Amazon uh, between forty-eight ninety-five and sixty-nine ninety-five. Rog in lots of lovely colours. I just got a beautiful pair of Adi and Icky, and I have not mm. taken them off my feet. One note, Dave, out that I do want to make before we end. Everyone associated with Men in Blazers wants to wish Aaron Lennon a speedy 
returned to health. The Everton winger was sadly detained after being found by police on the side of the highway. He's been diagnosed as suffering from, quote, stress. Um, mm. Many uh, in England are, are concerned for his welfare, and we wish Aaron Lennon and his family well. A reminder, if we needed one, that footballers are also human beings. Courage. Uh, visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. We have a new issue going out this week in which we speak with Robbie at Arsenal Fan TV and answer a raven on wrist wear style. Uh, follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram at meninblazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook at uh, meninblazers. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig! Who wants to sex Matumbo? Explosure. Not quite our kind, dear. Oh, take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Undertow.